0: Any health-related information on the following
1: show provides general information only. Content presented on any show by any host or guest should not be substituted for a doctor's advice. Always consult your physician before beginning any new diet, exercise, or treatment program. and I'm so glad to be with you today for the literate patient where we talk about being informed empowered and involved in your health and today we discuss a very important topic to me we're not gonna have a guest today I guess technically I am the guest today Uh, we're gonna talk about the relationship between the patient and the caregiver and uh, it's a very very important topic one that can save your life really Uh, so um, um, first, I'd like to introduce my wonderful co host, Miss uh, Doctor, Miss Doctor, that's pretty bad, Dr. Melissa Stewart. Welcome, Melissa. Thanks, Joni. I'm so glad to have you back. We missed you the last three weeks. You know, it's interesting because it kind of flew by, but it was also really, really nice. You know, sometimes it reminds us that you just need to recharge your batteries sometimes.
2: I think it's a really good uh, topic that we have for today considering that you've had to recharge your battery because that's one of the things we forget about with our caregivers is that you can't really be a good caregiver if you're not taking care of yourself. And as someone who deals with teaching the next generation of healthcare providers, um, we often have to remind them that although you're very enthused and excited about where you're going, remember all along the way that you can only make a difference if you're there. So you have to take care of yourself also. But to kind of kick us off, I thought that it might be good to start off with the definition of caregiver. And this is from our, our Webster's Dictionary, our old faithful, and it is, a caregiver is a person who gives help and protection to someone such as a child, an elderly person, or someone who is sick. And I really like how they entered the protection also, because we think about the help, but the protection is huge also.
1: Absolutely. And I've kind of always thought of the caregivers as being, in many ways, the referee because uh, we kind of direct traffic, so to speak, but, you know, you bring up a great point there that was one of the points that I want to talk about today, because, you know, when we're talking about a literate patient, maybe some people are saying, well, why are we talking about caregivers today, Joni? You have another show for that. Well, um, because a lot of cases, caregivers and patients are in this together, and you may not believe that you need a caregiver, because, you know what, I I, I hate Melissa I I, I try not to hate very often but I know that a lot of people consider needing a caregiver as a burden and you know that that is just something that it can it can totally be negative and can definitely impact the relationship uh, because you've got to work together as a team
2: absolutely I agree with you and I think they also see it as a personal weakness but you know I mean you've can only do so much. And sometimes you need the help of another individual, whether it's a personal time that you're not at your best, or maybe it's because they have more wisdom in a certain area. I mean, we do it every day when we, when we seek out experts via the medical field or even um, going into legal issues. And so that's a form of protection. We're seeking out somebody to help us improve ourselves. And, and so that, is seeking out a caregiver in one manner or another.
1: And you know, there's certainly um, you, another point that you brought up that was really good when you read that definition. Um, a lot of people don't realize that a parent is a caregiver we don't think about it that way we think about it as a parent when i went into caregiving for my husband i didn't think of myself as a caregiver i thought of myself as a spouse and this is what if you you had a husband that uh, went through a bout with cancer you know how that goes as well you you were there for him because you were his spouse and because you loved him. Um, When I was a caregiver for my mother, I was a daughter. And so being a caregiver, you know, sometimes you really don't think about it, but caregivers have some very, very special needs. And, uh, you know, the, the whole relationship between patient and caregiver can be so absolutely special but it can also be very uh, very stressful as well Um, another great point uh, is the fact that a nurse is a caregiver Uh, a medical professional is a caregiver when you go to the hospital the people that take care of you as caregiver doctors are caregivers so you know when when we talk about the term caregiver or caregiving it's a really broad range Absolutely. I agree with that. And, you know, you bring up a really uh,
2: interesting perspective in the fact of taking care of your parents. I think that that is a dynamic that really needs um, support and work because we're not used to what we have now, which is the sandwich generation where you're taking care of children and taking care of elderly parents. Um, My mother came to live with us whenever um, she was my dad had passed away and she was not able to live on her own because she had had a cerebral aneurysm and had some uh, leakage from that aneurysm so it it caused her to have uh, no short-term memory therefore she couldn't live alone because of that that deficit in her memory so she came to us for uh, right around 10 years. So my kids grew up with their grandmother in the house. Uh, for half the time that they were with us, at least half the time, if not more, um, that they were with us. And so that's an interesting dynamic. And it's very different because with a child, you automatically assume that authoritative role because they're your child. But with a parent, it is a very touchy situation because they still have control, yet like with my mother, she was in my house, and so it's, it's very uh, sensitive, and I really think that that's a generation we really need to support as much as possible because a lot of them are making the decisions for the health care of their parents, and that's really not something we're groomed for.
1: And, and again, this is a role reversal thing that we go through You know, when we become caregivers for a parent, and it can be just as hard for the patient and, and just as hard for the caregiver. Uh, I know, and, and I'm going to relate this story um, because I, I really do think it's very, very pertinent to this, and it certainly taught me uh, a lot about caregiving. I was caregiver for my husband, as you know, uh, who died of cancer at the age of 45. Uh, And then I turned around three or four years later and I became the caregiver for my mother who also had cancer. And going into that, you know, I thought, well, there's going to be a lot of this that is really similar. And hello, I've written some books on caregiving. Uh, So you know, but what I didn't take into consideration that was glaringly evident to me uh, through going through that was that there were going to be different journeys. Every caregiving journey is different. Every caregiver, every care receiver, we don't call them patients, we call them care receivers, they're all different. So you don't know what to expect. So just because you've been a caregiver before doesn't mean that you're going to do it again and have the same uh, experience, so to speak i would agree with that it's
2: funny because um it's different uh elderly facilities that I've been in, it's funny to talk with the nursing staff because some of them will talk about how whenever they turn the age where they may need those services, they're going to be like so-and-so or they're going to be like so-and-so. And it is funny because we are all so different and so do people that seek out healthcare services. As a matter of fact, that's part of why we do this show, Joni, is because we really want people to be able to stand up for their individual preferences and be able to speak towards what's a priority in their life and maintain that dignity of what they consider as a quality of life. So, so yeah, I always said I would be the honorary patient. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so. Well, I'm, I'm not going to offer to be your caregiver, and I'll certainly support <laughs> your husband if he if he has to do that role. Um, you know, I want to talk a little bit about my situation with my mother. You were talking about role reversals, and uh, my mother did not want to have cancer. Uh, when I say she didn't want to have cancer, I mean she really didn't want to have it. She did mind dying, but she did not want to die from cancer because I had lost my husband, and she knew that I was going to be her primary caregiver. Some people aren't cut out for being a caregiver, and my sister is one of those people. I hope she's not listening right now, but uh, <laughs> her idea of caregiving was whenever she took care of mother, she would say, Mom, you've got to do this or Joni's going to get both of us. That was her idea. <laughs> and that was fine she went about it the good cop bad cop type yeah. thing, you know but um so when my mother she and she was one of those don't want to be a burden people. And she was very much one of those don't be, want to be a burdened person and don't want to have cancer. And so you, you go into this, I call it a hostile witness. It was kind of a whole hostile witness situation because, you know, I, I knew I needed to caregive for her, but the way that I approached it had to be very different. And, and let me just say right off the bat, you know, even a caregiving role, you want the patient to be as independent as they can be. And so for a while, Mom was able to live on her own, but with close watching, you know. So I would call over every morning, and I had this routine that I went through. Uh, Mom, have you eaten? Okay. How did that go? How are you feeling today? Have you taken your meds today? Have you taken your painkiller today? And I had these group of questions that I would ask her every morning. And in fact, the day that she had her stroke... Uh, Because of lung cancer, you know, the whole uh, struggling to breathe and what have you, I knew she was having a stroke before, even after I called hospice, the hospice nurse examined her they said, no, we don't see anything, but I knew she was having a stroke. Because I knew her medical history, I knew she had a partially carotid artery, and uh, I knew that her respiration was going up steadily. It was the thing I feared the most, and when she couldn't answer the questions that morning, I knew something was wrong. And sure enough, within an hour of the hospice nurse leaving, she had the real stroke.
2: She probably was having some uh, TIA, some ischemic attacks, which usually happen prior to a stroke. And that's where they'll have those deficits like you're talking about.
1: So, you know, so it was good that I had the approach to work with her. But you mentioned earlier, Melissa, a very important point. They don't teach caregiving in school. Okay, so there are different types of caregivers, and let's talk about that a little bit, because that's very much a part of where we are. You know, it's interesting because you, you look at some other cultures, and do you remember, you know, when you look at, say, for example, some Asian cultures, it's very much apropos and important that the family members take care of each other in a group, Okay, uh, you you just did that. You just took care of your grand you took care of your grandparents. You took care of your parents. You took well, you know, um, but, respected the elderly is respected in those cultures, and it's
2: a cultural norm to do that.
1: Right, and through time, as you look back into it, you know we kind of, as a society, we kind of got a little bit away from that. Because what we ended up doing was, you know, then it became very apropos to, you know, the the big fear was nursing home. I don't want to be put in a nursing home, you know, but we we have these busy lives. We're, you know, going about our busy life and everything. And then the tide turned. And it ended up being, you know, having someone else take care of our loved ones. And now we're kind of getting back into the caregiving role where, you know, there are millions and millions and millions of Americans just in America alone that are taking care of someone that they love. Now, are they prepared to do that? I can tell you it can happen in the blink of an eye. It can happen in the total blink of an eye, and you are not prepared for it. And, and you know, we, we think about the things in our life that we're good at. We think about the things in our life that we may not be so good at. So what makes us think that when somebody looks at us and says, you will, you need to be a caregiver for this person who was just in an automobile accident or mm-hmm. has cancer or, you know, and and you may or may not know what you're doing. Right,
2: right, and that's why we need more resources out there for caregivers, support groups. Um, sometimes it's just the venting because there, it, it is very interesting whenever someone assumes a role like that. Um, I have, uh, I, I, I was one of three in my family uh, children, and my sister passed away when she was 23. And I have a brother. And um, my brother is married, has a family. But um, my, my mom would have gone into a nursing home if he had had his preference. And um, I, my mom was not nursing home material. She was physically, everything was great. She just mentally had that deficit. So, um, And less than 5%, I need to share this, less than 5% of the population in the United States is in a nursing home. Of the geriatric population I should say. So you're right that is kind of a fear everyone has but reality wise that's not really the norm because less than five percent is not a lot of people. So, um, yeah. so if we're looking at that we really do need to help support those that will assume care my brother did not, chose not to. He couldn't do it for whatever reason in his life. It didn't fit into his world or whatever. Didn't necessarily fit into ours, but we made it fit into ours. And, um, and it is a learning curve. And there is a, at first, you do kind of go through the grief process because you're losing your normal life. You know, um, everything's Absolutely. changing. And you're assuming this new role that you didn't even sign up for, you know. So and it's not that you don't love your parent or whoever you're taking care of. It's just such an adjustment and such a shock that it really um, it's a grieving process. And so there are all of those stages that you go through. um, And it would be helpful if you had support to be able to help you walk through those.
1: And some people do and some people don't. You know, um, Melissa, I I love the topic today, and I want to turn the tide a little bit when we get back and talk about what it means to the patient a little bit, too. But uh, let's take a quick commercial break. Don't anybody go anywhere. We'll be back with uh, Dr. Melissa Stewart and with me, Joni Aldridge, as we talk about the important topic of patient and caregiver relationship. Exercise your way to health your way with experts online who will design an effective wellness program based on physical condition and level of activity for less than the cost of an hour with a personal trainer. Use the discount code SOS1 for a 10% discount. ExerciseMD.ca That's exerciseMD.ca. Start getting healthier today. Welcome back to The Literate Patient. Today we're talking about the patient-caregiver relationship. And um, I'm going to go back to a little bit about what I was talking about a few minutes ago, Melissa, how things have now changed. And, you know, just like... uh, the topic near and dear to my heart uh, when you uh, are diagnosed, when a patient is diagnosed with cancer uh, and and you really think, I I remember sitting in that room with Gordon and I did not know at that moment how much my life was going to change as well. I knew obviously it was going to have some major changes and again you went through this with your husband so you probably felt, you know, much the same thing. But I did not realize that uh, we were going through we were going to go through some horrific things. Why is, a, a, for a patient that is diagnosed with cancer, why is a caregiver so important? You know, and, and I think about this a lot. In fact, um, when Gordon was going through his stem cell transplants, they wouldn't even give him a transplant without a caregiver they won't do one without a caregiver but the the treatments many of the treatments anymore uh, for diseases such as cancer are so complex that not only you you know they tell you to bring somebody with you um, doesn't necessarily have to be coined a caregiver but even at the first visits even when you're told because in a lot of cases the patient will shut down and a lot of times even the caregiver will shut down but the, the caregiver is always greatly needed to help to keep up with things you have to be uh, a pharmaceutical expert all of a sudden I had to give my husband IVs, you know, which I wasn't medically trained. You know, I had his life in my hands so many times. uh, You know, it's just unreal to think about. I I agree
2: with you. It is overwhelming what we now have people doing at home. um, That just because you can do it, we can teach you how to do it and you can take care of yourself. And there's no reason to be in a facility whenever you can be at least in the comfort of your home. So, um, it is quite an undertaking whenever you do assume that role, which, again, you did not sign up for or you didn't even see coming. Um, so it, it can be quite a shock to the system, and it becomes a full-time job almost.
1: And I think you should talk to those folks at the, at the college there and start a course. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. Um, I talked to, uh, I was teaching a seminar at a uh, particular conference about caregiving and a man in the audience looked at me, he said, why don't they teach this in high school? You know, why don't they teach caregiving in high school? And you think, well, you and I have talked about it. Why don't they teach patient literacy in high in high school or in college it, it's such an important topic and and I want to go through I, I'd like to break caregiving up into different groups and I, I, I think it's pertinent right to where we are uh, we have future caregivers I'm going to tell you right now if you're listening to my voice you are at some point in your life you're going to become a caregiver now it may be a caregiver to a sick child that has the flu. It may be to a sick husband who has a, a cold. When you go into those roles, you become a caregiver. Every person is going to be a caregiver in their life. They may not realize or call it a caregiver, but they are going to be a caregiver. Now, most of these are what I call and this is my own term, terminology, homegrown caregivers. And that means basically you're not prepared. You've never been prepared. You've never been medically trained. Although that doesn't mean just because you haven't had medical training that you're not going to be a good caregiver. I remember uh, when Gordon was going through his stem cell transplants, there was a, a another couple there. And she was taking care of her husband with the same condition, going through the same thing that Gordon was. And she was an RN. And she swore that I was a better caregiver than she was. And I'm not bragging. I'm just saying that even sometimes if you are medically prepared, doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a good fit to be a a caregiver for your husband should they get sick.
2: Absolutely. I agree with you. And um, another thing to think about, too, is, even though sometimes um, it's a shock to the system, the burden of care that you're giving, the, li- the lifestyle changes you have to make to be able to do that, uh, in retrospect, it'll end up being those times that you'll be grateful for, that you were able to do that if you- if the person does not survive and um, say they are terminal, such as your husband, Um you know, those are the times that you look back at and, and you think about and you're so glad that you were able to do that. So it does. It is rewarding and in, in long haul.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that brings me to what I uh, again, we're back to the groupings, a past caregiver. And, you know, it's amazing because a caregiving experience can have a profound effect in your life. I was caregiver to three brain illness patients in five years. Wow. And I can tell you, that puts things in a totally different perspective. Speaking of difficult diseases and difficult situations where you definitely have to have a caregiver, Uh, and I can tell you that's caregiving in the trenches. You know, there's there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. Speaking of needing training and speaking of needing support, that's the, the hardest. Then there's a professional caregiver. There are many professional caregiving companies out there now, and sometimes they provide respite care for um, regular caregivers uh, and, and can also help to, you know, get things on an even keel, so to speak. And you mentioned the end-of-life caregiver that's Mm -hmm. totally different when you're going through end of life uh it's very very traumatic for not only the patient obviously you know the patient is the total focus but the caregiver as well because there are so many emotions so many you just enter a whole new phase of uh, you know support for the patient uh, and speaking of support for the patient there's also support for the caregiver very important you may be a caregiver of a caregiver you know and 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 help along the way you've got to have those people it definitely takes a village absolutely
2: so, and i think you're right in that that is that is a true deficit that we have not only do we lack the knowledge for caregiving but also we lack the support structure for caregiving, and that is the ability for, to have that social or community-type structure. You know, um, the company that I work for, uh, we're a ministry-oriented uh, company. That's one of the things that we um, shared last week when we were talking with the CEO of the man. With Lucky
1: Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
2: Management ...end of our company. And um, this is a ministry. This is a needed ministry out there to have support for caregivers, to have that backup training. To If we really want to help people, helping people that are helping others maintain some type of quality of life, that is a huge need out there. So um, I think that although it would be nice to have stuff like that in the colleges and, and different organizations out there, I really think that it's going to be our ministries that need to step up and really help provide that structure and those support systems out there.
1: And many of them do. Actually, um, many support groups are related to not only um, medical centers, but also uh, a lot of churches. And, you know, it's interesting having been a part of some of those uh, support groups, it's really in a lot of cases the caregivers that help other caregivers because, you know, one caregiver particularly, I'm thinking of an Alzheimer's dementia caregiver, uh, may say, well, I'm having trouble with my husband or my wife doing such and such, and and another caregiver will will pop up and say, you know, I had that very same problem, and this is what I tried, and it worked for me. You know, and, and what we fail to realize in many cases is that you've got to have a plan For caregiving, you know, if you try to build a house without a foundation, without a plan, you you wouldn't succeed. And a lot of what I hear is you were talking about perhaps with your brother, I I mentioned my sister earlier, uh, the one person that does become the primary caregiver, they have to realize the extreme uh, pressure that they can put on their own life. You know, we we start out. Um, I, I'm working on a, a seminar for next week, actually about caregiving during the holidays, and you start out with 24 hours in the day, and this is your 24 hours in the day. Now you you go on and you add. The response, the needs and responsibilities of perhaps another person, you mentioned the sandwich generation earlier, uh, people that are caring for the kids and their parents, you know, at the same time, I I was thinking about it this morning, if you if you were pouring water into a glass, and you kept pouring the water into the glass, and it started overflowing, you know, this is what caregiving is kind of like. You know, you, you a normal person would be to the top of the glass. And then, you know, now you have to change your responsibilities. Now, there's a couple of ways of doing that. You can't add more time. You can't add more glass to the glass, you know. But what you could do is you could get another container to put more water in, or you've got to stop the water at some particular point in time.
2: It's funny that you mentioned how it changes and we're so limited because when my mom was uh, when my mom had her aneurysm rupture, um, I at that time was running six states for a pharma company, and um, I traveled a lot. And I had to get off the road. I had to take a job close to home. I had to be uh, within you know a range so that I could be accessible. And, um, although I had kids, you know, it wasn't the same because my husband was not on the road at that time. And so he could take care of the kids, but he couldn't take care of my mom, you know, so, um, so I, we had to totally change our life. It meant a huge cut in pay. Um, it was just, it was quite a change, but it was, it was what I had to do. So I don't, you know, also talking about the support systems that you had mentioned earlier, the different groups that are out there, how many of those include just whenever you're having mom or dad move into the house? Or are they all oriented towards the uh, terminal patient or the demented patient? You know, how how are your, the different systems out there, how are they um, broken down into uh, who fits this group? Is it just caregiver caregiver over, overall, or is it the sandwiched caregiver, or is it the terminal caregiver, or did, are they broken down into the groups such that you speak of, the homegrown past, all of those?
1: You know, it's interesting because it's hard to get caregivers to go to support Mm -hmm. meetings. It's hard to get them to get uh, help even from a social worker, uh, say, for example, in a hospice situation. It really is because you get caught up in the in in the caregiver role and then you say, uh, and this is part of the problem. I'm not going to care for my my own needs. Right. You're when when Gordon was diagnosed you know when you have a loved one that is going through uh a terminal illness or a catastrophic illness you're not going to sit there and take the time to say Uh, Well, I need to worry about me. You feel selfish. You feel guilty. Why would I care about me? And this is the reason that one of the sad facts is that in many elderly populations, 60% of the caregivers actually die before the care receivers. Yes. It can have an absolutely catastrophic effect on your health. And this is something we're talking about literate patients today, that patients need to realize is that it can have this catastrophic effect. I'm going to give you a perfect example. Recently, uh, I have an elderly couple, they're in their, their 70s that I absolutely love and adore, have known for many years, really, really strong friends of mine, and Unfortunately, last year in January, uh, Emily was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. Okay. Uh, she was not she, with liver mets. I mean, she was really not expected to live. And uh, her husband, Jack, and she have always been really close. They worked and worked and worked, and worked to work to get her uh, on an even keel. And so, uh, but every time I would call to talk to them, I would say, Jack. How are you doing? And he would brush it off. I mean, it was a total brush off. And I I probably did the very same thing. I was, I'm sure I was the same way. Uh, And so it would be, Jack, how are you doing? Well, Emily, we were very, very fortunate and blessed. Emily went into remission and lo and behold, not a month into that remission, Jack uh, started having heart arrhythmia yeah now, his life was in jeopardy uh this is this is what happens in a lot of cases I've heard of caregivers uh needing lung transplants i i I mean it really you don't realize as you well know having been a caregiver uh for your husband and your mother you don't realize the stress that you're being put under back to support groups Unfortunately, a lot of people don't take time for support groups um I did a seminar a month ago that I was absolutely thrilled to have 60 people sign up and 35 people show up because that is a large group for caregiver support group. Uh, you just don't realize when you're going through it, you feel guilty about taking the time. Uh, you you feel that you can't take time away. Uh, you have to get the second string quarterback in. Uh, but if you don't, your health can suffer. It's funny that
2: you brought up the couple that you know that this happened to because the same thing happened to my husband's parents. His dad had been diagnosed with cancer. It was in, it was it started in a very strange spot, but metastasized to two others. So he had it in three different spots. Um, was a miracle. Cleared. Everything's fine. Years later, he ends up, he's, another cancer appears, and um, he's got to go through all the treatment on that. It really, this time, it takes a real toll on his health, and he really is not able to uh, get back to his full self. Um, he, you know, he could take care of himself somewhat, but he still needed basic caregiving overall. Well, Steve's mother was a picture of health. She took care of him. She took care of the whole family. She was just, her name was Martha Stewart, and uh, believe it or not. And um, she was the original Martha Stewart because she was older than the Martha Stewart that everybody knows and is famous for. But um, she uh, took care of him and and just was wonderful. Uh, Just a perfect, perfect uh, mother, wife, everything you could ask for. Massive heart attack and died out of the blue, Mm -hmm. didn't see it coming, nobody, and went, and it was so bad that whenever her daughter was calling to tell relatives about her passing away, they kept trying to correct her and saying, no, you mean your dad.
1: Oh my gosh.
2: I know because nobody could believe because she was so, she was the caregiver for everybody. You know, so it was just like, well, no, she can't be gone. So they kept saying, you mean your dad? You mean your dad? And so that was so hard for Kelly because she's trying to go, no, it was mom, you
1: know? Yeah, and probably in shock themselves. You know, so now let's turn it back to the patient because, you know, I think that by talking about caregiving, we're learning a lot of different things that the the patient can do and i'm going to tell you one of the things that i hear a lot from caregivers is uh particularly in difficult situations is the patient doesn't want to see me cry okay uh and i can tell you that's hard uh (laughs) <laughs> because you need to release that emotion, and so if the, to the patients that are listening today, you know, and and perhaps need to um, have a different viewpoint towards caregiving. First of all, please encourage the the caregiver to go to support groups to get yeah. the support they need encourage them to get out a lot of caregivers feel very guilty if they take time to go to the movie or go to go to dinner with friends so you know encourage them to have that time if you can and encourage them to get that support because you know if if and that is a great time to have that respite where you can cry if you need to because you have to grieve and uh it can be hard you know to to watch um but also uh here's another thing you know uh, there was a, a time in Gordon's sickness, where he was, um, uh, he was biting to me. He was, and this was very much not Gordon. Uh, he was under a lot of meds and and different things, but he he was likely to me. You can get, you know, the the ultimate grumpy patient syndrome. Uh, you know, some patients can't help it you know, particularly when you're going through a brain illness, but um, Mm -hmm. please try not to (laughs) bite. And I don't (laughs) mean that literally, definitely don't want to bite literally. Try to have a decent, a good attitude uh, towards the caregiver. And don't, you know, realize that if the caregiver is necessary, you know, don't try to, Bulk from it. Don't try to try to work within, you know, the boundaries of of a good caregiver patient relationship.
2: I, I think it's very important for both the caregiver and the patient to acknowledge their emotions. Um, I have uh, worked with uh, patients that were terminal. and and kids that were terminal, which was really hard. But there's one particular child that I remember that um, she was sent home because there was nothing else they could do for her. She was a a leukemic patient. And um, this little girl, uh, in the process of uh, me visiting her and taking care of her in her home, um, she uh, and I became very close. And uh, she had slipped into a coma once and came out. Um, but this this last time that she slipped into a coma, uh, it, she was going to pass away. But the, this child was living with vital signs that were just unbelievable. And um, she was holding on. And you could tell she was, her spirit was just holding on. And I had told her her uh, sibling that she needed to uh, sit down with her and talk with her and and let her go. But I also told her parents, because she was a really good kid, and I knew she followed everything her parents told her to do. So, um, So I told her parents that. But what I didn't realize was how much I needed to tell her goodbye, too, because I had been with her on that journey for almost a year. I had seen her every single day, and it was just... I did not realize the emotional toll it was taken on me also. So I, the one thing I can definitely say that um, that experience and that particular child helped me be a better caregiver for caregivers because it is so important to recognize that emotional journey because it is a journey. And you do go through a full range of emotions. There, there is rage. There is there is a anger that just comes from nowhere. There, of course, is the pain and suffering, the grief that goes along with it, but it's just so important not to push emotions down and to truly feel them and try to work through them And um, for both ends of this relationship.
1: And, and I think you brought up an excellent point earlier, and I want to reiterate it, and it's one of the things we're going to t- be talking about caregiving over the holidays this week. And that is, you know, you've got to take time to grieve, and it's not just grieving a person. Uh, it's, it's grieving uh, a loss of a normal holiday. That's what we're going to talk about this week. You know, we, we all have this picture in our mind, this courier and Ives Christmas card that every holiday is going to be. Absolutely, perfect. Well, you know, it's interesting because I had often thought of families that I heard about during the holidays that, you know, they had a very, very ill loved one that was not going to survive to have another holiday. And I didn't realize uh, until going through that myself. What that was going to be like, but very much uh, was prominent with my mother when she went through her her final holiday with Gordon. I didn't know. With mother, we did. And, you know, everything changes. Your total perspective of everything changes. What do you give this person as a gift I can tell you
2: what you give this person as a gift (laughs) because this is something that we had Dr. Nelson on the show before and she talks about end of life and um, making sure wishes are established. What you can give them is to sit down and talk with them about what's going to happen and exactly what do they want. That's the best gift you can ever give anybody is to have that set up and to respect them all the way through their last breath and until they're no longer visible to us. And that is what Thanksgiving should be. And that's a great time to talk about it. And also to turn around and do it for your loved ones, your kids, your family that's going to be left, to let them know exactly where you stand. That's the best gift of all.
1: That's true. A lot of people still believe uh, in the literal, though, in that. And, you know, if that's important to you, then you need to address that as well. But, you know, and this goes to establishing needs. And you're exactly right. One of the big needs is to communicate. You know, it's interesting what I'm going to one of the things I'm going to talk about is I'm going to talk about hope and take it. On, on an H-O-P-E scale, and that is age is happiness. You still have to have happiness in the holiday. You can't expect everybody else in the world to go around moping. And by the way, who wants to be in a doom and gloom? So when I, when I think about that with my mom, I made sure that, you know, her nutcrackers were out. Those were the things that she loved. You know, that she got to watch all the holiday movies that she wanted to watch, that she got to listen to all the holiday music. You know, you're exactly right. You do have to listen, but you can't take all happiness out. Uh, openness. O is for openness. You have to have openness. You have to have that open line of communication about what is important, what isn't important. It's going to be different. Uh P is per, for perspective. You have to have perspective, and E is for equality because that that what is impor, important to that patient may not be what's important to the caregiver, but they both have to be considered. So um, you know, it's interesting that you know you you have to um, kind of focus on these things. You know, when you're going through caregiving,
2: I think when you're at that point that. Um, the physical is just not as important as the that bonding and the love that you feel and that ability to be able to acknowledge all of that. That's the there's there's you don't realize what life is all about till you are facing whether or not you're gonna have it anymore.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no question. Well, we we didn't take a break today, but I want to continue going. We have about five more minutes left, um, Melissa. And, you know, just such an important topic today, the relationship between patient and caregiver and making sure what you just talked about was actually making sure that both needs are taken care of and uh, you know certainly that's very important and there's a way as well that family members can support the patient and caregiver relationship and that's really important too. (laughs) Any thoughts on that Melissa?
2: Um, yes, absolutely. And it's again having that critical dialogue that you need to have where you you know exactly what they want. Um, what are your end of life wishes? Do you want to be on life support? Do you know what life support is? Um, even if you have to pull in a, a health care provider, a medical person who can describe what all happens at the end um, so that you better understand because there's a lot of people that'll just say, I don't want to be a vegetable. Well, believe it or not, there are levels of that. You know, so you, you want to know what are you talking about? You know, what is that? What does that mean to you? And truly being able to identify what do they see as quality of life? You know, if I'm never going to be able to talk again, if I'm not ever going to be able to communicate with my loved ones, if I'm not ever going to be able to take care of myself, then I don't want to be here. Then, then that's what we need to make sure is inclusive in there. Um, anything you can do to make the other side of them not being here anymore smooth and and not have family strife and grief. If there's struggle over who gets what, if there's, you know, believe it or not, there are families that actually go into years of fighting or not even talking anymore over things like that. So to truly honor that life by acting the way they would want you to and being the people that they knew you as and loved you for. So to me, that's the best gift of all you can do is to honor their name by respecting them enough to be the person that they always saw and wanted you to be.
1: And I think uh, here's what you just said. I think that I, I want to make a point. Um, and again, we're talking to the patients now. Take the difficult decisions away. Uh, when I when Gordon's cancer went to his brain, uh, I had to make the really, really hard decisions. So when mother was sick, I knew that I wanted, I, I told my sister, I said, I can do a lot of things, but I can tell you, I can't make that decision this time. And so mother made the decision and I made sure that mother made the decision. That's the other thing about caregiving. There's a time to speak up and there's a time to shut up. And when it has has something to do with end of life decisions, uh, you know, it's very, very important to let the patient decide. So, um, you know, take as many one of the biggest gifts that you can give to your caregiver is to take as many of those big decisions away, those difficult decisions away from them and, uh, you know, say this is my decision. This is what I want to do absolutely it's it it, and it's
2: so respectful for them because you know each of us define life differently you know we have priorities we have our own way of seeing the world and and that's why god made us all so unique and different but whenever it comes to what is quality of life only we can define that and so to be able to respect and honor that is to me uh, the last gift you can give a person and um And it's priceless. And really, honestly, the real things in life are priceless. The things that are important, the true gifts are absolutely priceless, priceless.
1: And, you know, I I think, um, and unfortunately, we we need to close up this conversation. I think we could do a total another hour talking about this. Such an important topic. I will also say to all those people supporting caregivers and patients, you know, during this uh, upcoming holiday season and and any time, realize how strong emotions can be and how strong grief can be and and respect that. Uh, I think of a mother who lost her child a year before and committed suicide on the day of his death the following year. Everybody had thought she had moved on and thought she was doing okay, but she truly wasn't. So, um, you know, just respect each other's feelings, talk about each other's feelings, uh, just absolutely great points, and uh, realize that there are people out there that you can help in other ways. The greatest gift is being there for someone and listening and and caring. So, um, Alyssa, I want to thank you uh, for allowing me this time today to talk about caregivers on the literate patient.
2: I'm so glad that we did, Joni, and we're so blessed to have you as an expert out there to speaking up and giving a voice to this faceless, um, just unassumed uh, part of life that we have out there where people are caring for others.
1: Is so important. Um, thank you, Dr. Melissa Stewart, uh, for being with us today, and thank you to the listeners. And my website is j o n i a l d r i c h dot com, and uh, please stay tuned next. Friday for another literate patient where we're going to talk this is Lung Cancer Awareness Month next month we're going to talk about radon and the dangers of radon uh, which is a very very important topic when we talk about lung cancer so uh, have a great week and a great weekend thanks